Welcome to the Networking with Plants in the Anthropocene podcast. My name is Kate, and today we're joined with Afghania Emmets. Welcome, Afghania. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for you to be on the podcast because you're an incredible artist. You have a lot of wonderful work, and I can't wait to read your new book um, and learn more about it. So would you like to briefly introduce yourself? Mm, Thank you. So I'm an artist and I'm also a poet. I've been writing poetry pretty much all my life since I was 14 years old. And uh, right now I'm also considering myself to be an artist that works with forest and focuses on biodiversity, uh, on plants, on creating long-term protected forest spaces that are both natural and cultural sanctuaries for the generations to come, for the future of our beautiful planet and for the future of humanity. Wonderful. As we start getting into our discussion, one thing that I like to start off asking um, interviewees about is your favorite plant. Do you have a favorite plant? Um, And what is it and why? Oh my God, it's such a question. Uh, it's like asking a person who loves the forest so much uh, to identify and to choose one. It's really, really hard uh, to do that. I have a lot of plant alleys and I work with a lot of plants um, daily. Of course, I work a lot with the Mediterranean plants um, that grow around Portugal and Spain but I also connect a lot with tropical plants and I connect a lot with the plants that ended up being in Europe, for example, through um, through all the travels that humans have done bringing plants around. So one of my favorite plants or one of the plants that I connect really, really deeply with and that I encountered last year um, in a different way than I knew that plant before, of course, is ginkgo biloba. (laughs) And um, I think it's a really, really fascinating tree. It's a fascinating plant. I found out uh, more um, stories about the plant when I was doing my project last year in Botanical Garden of Lisbon with the Natural History Museum. Um, The plant really called to me. So I was called by the plant to open up a a certain perspective. So my role was, in this particular case, was to listen to the plant's message and to invite the plant to tell its own story on its own terms. And so if you like, I can read you a short poem with in which uh, ginkgo biloba plant speaks. Oh my goodness, that would be so lovely. (laughs) Okay, so uh, it's a poem from my book called Eternal Forest, and the project is called Council of Seeds. So the name of this project, Council of Seeds, uh, comes from the perspective that I do believe that we need to include plants 
in our human council, in our human circle. So for me, the idea was working with specific plants in Jardin Botanico de Lisboa and Botanical Garden of Lisbon and inviting them to come out and to speak their stories, to speak in their own voice. And so I connected with many plants, but particularly with five plants and Ginkgo biloba is one of them. And the poem that um, came out, the poem that emerged from this collaboration is called The Marriage of Ginkgo. So as we know, uh, Ginkgo tree needs both female and male counterpart. They're actually two separate trees. And for many, many years in many places, at least around Europe, uh, to my knowledge, Ginkgo trees have been planted um, just the male trees, the female ginkgo trees have been avoided massively because people somehow, somehow uh, there was the story emerging that the ginkgo uh, fruit doesn't smell so good when it falls to the ground. And so uh, landscape architects started avoiding them, which is completely not true. And um, I can personally testify that the fruit is absolutely amazing it smells wonderful um i think it all depends on our perception so it depends how we really look at the world and why certain certain ideas that some humans decided to propose some kind of start perpetuating this strange narrative and strange belief that the seed of ginkgo tree doesn't smell so nice. And so a lot of female trees were not planted. They were avoided because of that. However, uh, for ginkgo trees to thrive and to produce baby trees, you need both trees more or less nearby because the male tree produces the sperm and mm, the pollen. And then the pollen comes to the female tree and the female tree produces the baby trees. Anyway, let's go to the poem. <laughs> I think it's enough with this story. I think uh, I hope I hope you get the kind of the 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 message. So yes, so that was the main message that the ginkgo tree wanted to communicate, and then I kind of packaged it into this uh, song. The marriage of ginkgo. Plant me nearby water. Sow me with your ancestors. Bury me into the black soil. Put me next to my siblings. Set me in with the new moon. I shall ascend with her. Spring into spring. I am your new beginning. Fall into fall. I am your living gold. A good quarter of your life a treasured spring of my youth. My moon has come around for your precious offspring to savor my wheeling fruit. My every stem swollen, my every pulse awake, swallow a weighted pollen, spiral for life's sake, yet unbeknown to me, Swimming my inner sea towards my cherished jewel. So, um, 
we also know, of course, through, especially through Japanese culture, that um, pretty much every part of ginkgo biloba tree is medicinal. <laughs> so it's been both food and medicine over many, many centuries. And I don't see why um, we should basically avoid these trees and why sh we should negate uh, the possibility of them thriving in our ecosystems. And in fact, here in Iberia, this, this tree is feeling very, 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 very good. I have seen many of these trees in Europe and yes, they're, they're feeling great in our cities. And of course, apart from being incredibly beautiful, uh, they have this potential of offering um, this medicine to, to humanity. Awesome. Thank you so much for that poem. It was so beautiful. I loved your imagery. Um, do you know, is there more of a movement in certain places in Europe to incorporate uh, female ginkgo trees or are they primarily still male? Uh, absolutely. Actually, first time when um, I found out that fact, um, I met somebody in in an exhibition. It was an exhibition connected with nature. It was like a festival. And this person lives in the north of Portugal. And he told me, please, please uh, plant both trees um, at the same time in the same place. Uh, so he, he was the first one who explained to me, which I didn't know before. It was about two years ago. But then I started noticing as I was traveling that actually um, there is a lot of um, trees that are planted in a mixed way. So female and male trees are together. I was visiting my mother in Bulgaria uh, next to the seaside. And there are a lot of uh, female and male ginkgo trees plant planted together in the parks. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, I read also that it's actually quite difficult to find out whether it's a male or female ginkgo tree unless they're like 15 years old. So it's also possible that right now uh, the trees are being planted. Of course, the landscape design is being done and then it's kind of too late to take the tree out. Um, but yes, I mean, they're incredibly incredibly powerful and I think people are slowly waking up to this knowledge and to this very ancient offering that the tree is holding um, this message that the tree is bringing to us we have to respect what is there in nature and uh, these trees are very rare in the wild so we must take care and we must protect them as much as we can so in my own garden I will be planting many of them hoping that there will be different genders and they can reproduce and they can thrive and in the um, botanical garden of lisbon uh, they are actually reproducing so there are many many saplings under the female ginkgo tree so when i did my uh, artistic experience in the jardin botanico de lisboa i was drawing people attention specifically to that fact that the trees actually feel incredible there and they reproduce and young saplings can be can be also propagated easily. 
That's wonderful. It's amazing how much diversity amongst different plants there are and how if you like really focus your attention on one, or as you've mentioned, like the plant in actually calls out to you and connects to you, um, just how much richer <laughs> our human communities can be by, by really connecting with those plants. I was wondering, um, since we've already gotten an incredible sample of your poetic work, um, if you could describe a little bit more your work with plants. Um, what do you do and what do they do? Um, so I work with plants, I guess, from two different perspectives. One is I'm hoping with my work of Eternal Forest, so this is my ongoing project, which I started about five years ago um, to create habitats, um, wild habitats for plants, um, not only plants, of course, animals and insects and all other species, um, but uh, for the wildlife to basically thrive. And this work is ongoing and this is quite a slow work because it's connected with usually finding land, finding communities, working with partners and foundations and securing those um, forest sanctuaries where which will be protected in perpetuity hopefully um, where art nature science can meet and where communities can enjoy um, this um, forest that is becoming old growth forest so in that way this is also meant to be a place for deep listening to nature, for deep listening to plants, animals, uh, insects that are coming to make this place their home, listening to the cycles um, of each and every being that is um, becoming part of this place. But meanwhile, uh, this work, of course, it takes a lot of time because the moment we touch the idea of establishing such a sanctuary and the moment we touch the place, a land, um, there is a lot of kind of threats attached. We have to understand, you know, who will be the guardian. We have to work with the guardians, have to work with the community. We have to establish a project uh, basically with um, relevant support system. so the other work that I do is more connected with creating uh, deep immersive transformational experiences. And I usually do these experiences in nature, in forest parks, gardens, botanical gardens, and so on. I, while eternal forest sanctuaries are more focused on create, emerging and creating them in more rural environments, because that's where we have more land, the experiences are not necessarily, but at the moment, for example, are focused on me going very quite intentionally into forest parks and into botanical gardens of all kinds, um, where usually I'm listening uh, deeply to the plants and the ecologists that are emerging there or have emerged there. And then I, uh, based based on what is talking to me 
in the moment I create this artistic trail um, through poetry, through storytelling, through creating an alternative um, story that becomes a collaboration with the place and place becomes alive through the story, but also becomes a collaboration usually with many cultures that the plants are associated with. Because in many cases, places I work with, like botanical gardens, are full of plants from all over the world, which means that every single plant is probably uh, displaced. Well, not probably, but is displaced. And it's been taken out of its natural environment and it's been put in very different environments. So all these plants, they are forming new relationships. They are forming new pathways, but they still carry quite strongly the story that is attached to their species, ecological story, um, biological story and cultural story, because these plants, they have formed quite strong relationships and deep relationships with humans in the place where uh, they belong, first of all. But they do belong to this new place now. And there we could see some really interesting examples how plants uh, adapt and how they manage to thrive in this very, very, very different setting and how they still absolutely capable of coming out and saying, hey, listen to my story. I have something to say. I have a message. So I'll give you one example. Right now I'm developing a new project which will be launched in May. The project is called Forest Time and it embraces two different spaces in Lisbon. One space is a Stufa Fria, which is a, a garden of tropical plants from all over the world. And another place is very different. It's called Monsanto Forest Park, which is a natural biodiverse um, forest park uh, within the limits of Lisbon, uh, which was created around 90 years ago. Uh, so both places are very different, but they are also connected by the green corridor and they are connected by one kind of urban environment. And in the Estufa Fria, in this tropical garden of plants, my intention is to invite the plants to speak um, the message that they hold, uh, the message that connects them with their roots, uh, well, literal roots, but also um, their, their story. And what I am discovering, which is really, really, really surprising and interesting, is that each of these plants that come out and want to tell the story, they're like a messenger of a living tradition from another place. And Although we could say, well, you know, how do we connect with the tradition? It's not our tradition. It's not our culture. We are not indigenous there. And the plants are also not native here. Uh, taking all of that into account and being quite conscious that I am connecting or the, I'm connecting through the plant to quite um, different tradition, which is no part of my tradition beyond that i'm connecting to ancestral roots 
uh, of the earth of the planet earth that we all connected to so we all have a right to know we ha- we all have right to this wisdom we all have right to uh, creating space and time for this listening for this deep listening and it's up to us if we decide to use this opportunity to use this right or just to say well you know it's not my culture it's not my tradition so you know i don't have kind of the chance to really do that and the thing that i'm also discovering is that they need to tell us that story this is the time this is the moment they need to connect and they want to do it and through them uh, there is a whole um, there is a whole world that's speaking to us and of course in one poem or in one experience um, i can communicate as much um, however i feel that that essence will allow us to you know it's not just about intellectual knowledge it's about the feeling it's about the emotion it's about spiritual knowledge it's something that needs to come through and that is very important for us to hear and on top of that in many cases the plants are also saying that um, their own environment has been destroyed in the places where they come from because a lot of habitats have been replaced by the plants from other places uh, so everything has been moved so much again and again and again that there's been a lot of broken relationships but there's been new relationships that have occurred uh, so even that some plants are just exotic and very useful in some cases and in other cases they turn out to be invasive that's not their guilt that's not their problem of course it is our mirror however and we need to look into that mirror in a very honest way uh, accepting everything that has been done but also looking into this mirror with some kind of hope and understanding that nothing is wasted and also nothing has been done without purpose there is another idea that perhaps plants have their own agency so who knows have we moved the plants or have they used us to be able to move around the world to be able to execute you know their own dream so there is this um, there is this possibility that, that I'm also holding that what if you know and there are already a lot of people out there a lot of philosophers and scientists who are saying well you know the plants they also use us and they also use the opportunity to evolve so we are co-evolving and i guess this is this is where i am at the moment with listening to the plants and creating that space where we can hold this conversation together definitely I was wondering, as someone who comes from a more kind of like uh, academic and cerebral uh, background, could you describe the experience of having a plant like reach out to you to tell its story? Like, what are some of the things that happen um, in in that 
relationship and that communication because it sounds really amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because when I enter a place like um, tropical uh, tropical greenhouse, uh, I at the beginning, I try like the first few days, the whole week, I just go there and I am, I am, I'm not doing anything. Um, I do have, I do help myself a little bit with um, searching and researching, but I'm very much guided by my sense and really allow certain plants to come out and to say, well, I'm interested to have this conversation. So I'm entering the place and preparing myself, being available, asking permission, definitely, and saying, look, I'm here to listen to you and I'm here to help you to communicate your message and to tell your story on your own terms. Of course, I am human and I am there as a human. I'm not trying to become a plant. Absolutely not. I am very, very strongly taking my human position. I'm also allowing plants to work on me and if needed to heal me. And that is happening. So I give you one example. One of the first days during this week, this past week, I went um, and I, uh, I was sensing there is this uh, really beautiful plant that um, wants to talk. And uh, I mean, it's impossible to miss that tree. It's a really wonderful, very light green foliage tree with beautiful curved branches, with beautiful flowers. Um, I'm gonna say the name of the tree in a minute. And basically I was circling around this tree again and again. And what I try to avoid in my work is just go for the prettiest things. Because, of course, uh, when we enter a place like this, when we enter a botanical garden, a greenhouse, or tropical plants, we are fascinated by the beauty that doesn't... It's not the same beauty as we have in the beauty of the forests in Mediterranean or in the northern forests in Europe. So... It's very easy to be seduced by a plant that is just beautiful. And there is a lot of pride, for example, in Estufafria, in camellias. So there is a lot of camellia plants, many, 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 many types. And uh, when I went on a technical visit, they really showed me how proud they are of their camellias. But camellias didn't speak to me. They didn't speak, they didn't call out to me at all. So then I find myself next to this tree. And uh, the folk name of this tree is Yesterday, Today and Tomorrow. And I'm going to tell you scientific name of the tree in a minute. And what happened is I decided I'm just going to sit with this tree and contemplate close my eyes and just let something happen just let the tree come through and tell their story and do what needs to be done 
And um, of course, I was curious why the tree is called like this. So I went and asked the people of the garden. And the idea is that these three names, they reflect the flowering. So the tree uh, throws a flower, it blossoms, and the flower goes from purple to less purple to white in the same flower. Sometimes over one day, sometimes over several days. It depends, I think, on the conditions. Probably in tropic, it's 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 a plant from South America. Uh, probably there, it can flower faster, and the blossoms are finished. And here, maybe it flowers slower. Um, and then uh, I start feeling. Um, I was feeling a lot of expansion during this contemplative journey with the plant. I was feeling a lot of uh, strong sensation in my heart. I was feeling a lot of emotions. Uh, that night, I could not sleep at all. I probably could fall asleep after three hours. I was having very strong visions and a lot of processing, emotional processing. There was a lot of letting go. Um, and so then, of course, I did my research and I found out that... Uh, this plant is used uh, in the mix with um, uh, with with other plants and with Aoyaska wine. So uh, vine, sorry. So it um, it is plant that uh, is very very strong medicine. So what happens um, in my case, I guess, uh, and that already happens over several years that. The plants tell me that it's not necessary always to connect with them in exactly the same way as it's done traditionally or is prescribed. In other words, uh, there are certain cases and certain types of situations where we can connect with what we call plant spirit medicine. So the spirit word is key here. And here is, of course, it's very magical, I think. And But the key is that we connect with the plant uh, by just creating the space for this deep listening and creating possibility to hear what they have to say and to work on us when needed and with what is needed. So here we give quite a lot of agency to the plant and we have to build a lot of trust. And sometimes it happens immediately, like it happens with me. And in other case it, cases, it happens um, throughout some times, and maybe the plant continues working next day and in the dream. So next day, when I returned to Estufafria, the plant was still there, present, working with me, and like, really, okay, I went through that experience. We went through this experience together. And so the plant said, okay, I would like to enter that artistic experience that you are creating. And I would love you to bring people to me so that they understand where I come from, that I'm not just a pretty bush sitting here on a bit of soil, but I'm connected to this incredible, rich matrix of cultures that is behind um behind me so i will tell you the scientific name of the plant let me uh, see if i can pronounce it correctly 
it's Brunfelsia latifolia. So in Portuguese is ontem hoje amanhã, in English it's yesterday, today and tomorrow. And when I uh, started looking deeper in this yesterday, today and tomorrow and really went to the essence of that name, I also realized that this particular plant also works on the perspective of it can exist in three different time dimensions. So it allowed me to enter that same space where I can exist uh, in yesterday, today and tomorrow in my experience, and then go beyond time as well. So the transformation that happens while working with the plants, for me specifically, I'm not saying it should work exactly the same way for everybody, but for me personally, it worked in a way that my three-dimensional time experiences they merged and then I was invited to go beyond time. I was invited to enter that space that is completely outside of time. So I just wow. shared with you one example, but uh, there are many. And in, in fact, I can share with you now as the project is evolving, it's all very fresh. I did not expect that I will have that kind of experience in the middle of Lisbon in the greenhouse of tropical plants where everybody goes more or less on a stroll knowing more or less scientific things but maybe knowing nothing but people sometimes go like uh, through a shopping mall through the place so they go in go out they don't find anything because i think we also are missing a little bit there is a lot of education there is maps there is everything but i think we are missing some kind of a connection some kind of guidance, um, somebody who can play the role of a guide that can really invite people to slow down, to go deeper, because these are not pretty only pretty plants. They are very beautiful, but they're incredibly powerful. And um, they work. They work even outside of the natural environment if we are ready to work with them. One of the things that the networking with plants in the Anthropocene, a general topic that many of us are interested in, is respect, having respect for plants. And it sounds like, listening to you describe your work, that respect has a lot to do with your communication with them. So how do you understand respect for plants in your work? Well, um, I think we are in the least we are equal that's my basic uh, that's where i come from we are equal humans are equal to animals plants rocks um what happens is because we well because of our history and certain things that we decided early on in our history i think we lost that understanding but also I really try to understand, like, okay, well, religion, we can blame religion for that. We can blame many things, but really, really, really on the basic um, perception level, how, what does separate us? And uh, 
fair enough, I work with time and I work with concepts of time. So in my work, uh, time for me is like a medium. It's like a paint. So I work with time. So I realized that actually our understanding of time scales and how time is separates us from all other beings. So plants exist on very different time scale from us. Animals exist on different time scale. Insects, rocks, completely different time scale, right? So we don't even give any agency to rocks at the moment. We only give agency to animals because they, we're kind of similar because we are an animal as well. But uh, we only recently started understanding that okay maybe plants have agency and now of course there's lots and lots of scientific data that's like lucky us it's coming out so for people who need the proof they have the proof all indigenous cultures all traditional cultures have known it uh, since the beginning and have guarded this knowledge and it's not like they guarded a dead knowledge they guarded it as a living knowledge they're practicing it all the time every day in western culture we let go of this uh, amazing knowledge and now it's coming back. So now we are reclaiming it. For me, uh, I, I feel that to approach any plant, we need to do this with respect. Um, I really loved the interview with Paul Moss. Uh, he focused much more on the agricultural practices and how they're shifting and changing and how respect is the key word there of course um i work much more with kind of wilderness and respecting the wilderness respecting the sovereignty of forest of the ecosystem respecting its own being its own purpose and i think only when we allow someone else in this case a plant a patch of forest, a whole big forest ecosystem to have its own purpose and its own sense of being, meaning, um, agency. Only then I think we can have truly rich experiences. And it kind of sounds egoistic, but if we purely look in a very, very simple perspective of us completely dependent on all this photosynthesizing, <laughs> beings uh, think if we want to have a healthy beautiful happy life joyful life uh, we must really put ourselves on the position that we grant them full agency full sovereignty and we really treat them with respect and it's very very hard to undo uh, all the conditioning that we have in our in our psyche uh, all the cultural conditioning in the West that we have grown with, um, all the packaged uh, food and all the packaged medicines and herbs, even the tea, the way tea comes prepackaged. Um, and these days I realized that um, there's so much work that needs to be done. There's so much potential. I enter the spring forest and I want to eat things directly from the ground. But what I realize is I need to learn so much more. I need to learn so much more about the plants from them directly. Of course, there are beautiful teachers all around us. And 
uh, we are living in incredibly lucky times that uh, people really uh, embody this knowledge and they're uh, living teachers amongst us and we should learn with them every day. But also plants are teachers themselves. So sometimes um, they are better teachers than the human teachers. Why? Because it's more direct. So if we manage to create that space of, okay, I ask for medicine in the moment for what I need, and I ask with gratitude, permission, and I ask to enter the forest, and I ask a plant to come and speak to me and, you know, work with me, um, that is work, that is, that is a dedicated time and space that we are creating in our life quite consciously but I do feel that uh, it offers um, a really richer possibility of what can happen it's very un uh, it can be very unexpected and so the recipes that we have had for generations and we have in our libraries in our human libraries that we co-developed and co-evolved and some of them have not been burned some of them have survived sometimes certain recipes don't work for certain things because a human being is not every human being also is different like every plant is different so when you have a question and if you're holding something and if you want to resolve something Sometimes it's better to go and speak to the plant directly or to go and see what the forest uh, medicine is offered to you in this particular moment, because it might be better and more appropriate for the moment and for what you want to release, for example. So I have this philosophy that although it's very important to learn with human teachers, as much as we can, it's also important to learn directly from the plants and from the land. Because uh, they are the ones that basically are there. We don't need any, anything or anyone in between. We just need to continuously learn or relearn or to remember to listen deeper and deeper and deeper and peel away all of the layers of our preconceptions of what we think we know about them and about ourselves as well. That's beautiful. I love the way you describe and put that. It made me think um, with your work and time, are there any lessons you've garnered from having to work a lot with other organizations as you put together the Eternal Forest project, it makes me think of how sometimes working with so many different groups and so many different interests, like you said, can slow things down. But it almost seemed to me as a listener that it might mimic the slower time of some plant growth or plant time scale. Um, so what has your experience been with adapting to plant time through your work or your own experiences? Well, it's been, <laughs> from the very start, it's been quite an interesting uh, change. It's been a transformation in my 
in my life because uh, before I started the Tunnel Forest Project, which coincided with my move to Portugal and to rural Portugal, I lived in several big cities before that. So I was a very urban creature. I was an urban artist uh, who, you know, did all the usual things, uh, produced artworks, exhibited. I guess I've always been very tuned in with nature, thanks to my family, my grandmothers, and where I grow, grew up um, in Ukraine. But only, I guess, noticing the ecological devastation that I witnessed in Portugal kind of pushed me to start the tunnel forest. So at the beginning, I thought that things will happen rather quickly and certain things happen very quickly. But then other things like uh, organizing and working with the land and working with communities and establishing organization, it tends to happen much slower. And there are two reasons for it. One reason is, of course, you name a project and you have the result. No, a tunnel forest is, okay, it's a tunnel. And yes, time is very different in this work. So at some point, I decided that I actually do have all the time in the world that's needed for that. And I'm living on the forest time. So I still have my deadlines as an artist and as a human being. I still have my Google Calendar. I still have my clock. Once in a while, I go without it. But I, in general, my philosophy is I'm moving towards and I'm exploring personally in my life, but also with other people and with other beings, what does it mean to live in a forest time? So how does shifting that perspective change our life, change our relationships, change our approach to work? to achieving things, to, to doing certain projects. Of course, there's many challenges like funding, finding spaces, working with collaborators. But what I noticed is I tend to construct projects that run over several years rather than just like do exhibition after exhibition or do project after project. For example, my work with Monsanto Forest Park in Lisbon it has been already ongoing for two years. So it started in COVID time, it's ongoing now, and it probably be only kind of concluded in the end of the year. So it will be three years in total. And it is really happening more or less on a forest time. It also is part due to the Portuguese uh, way of doing things. So everything in Portugal is a little bit slower. It's southern Europe. We have to embrace it. But yes, I realized that it is what it is and it's part of philosophy and it's part of the deal that I'm engaging with as an artist and as somebody who likes to think that what we, what we think about in terms of that relationship with time, we can also embody so if the project takes longer, that's fine. Um, that is um, just the work that you know can be done experiential and then can be exhibited, things like make an art show, publish a book. But when we talk about actual eternal forest sanctuaries, we are really in the business of forest time fully because the, I already noticed that the moment you touch the land, you enter 
um, a space and you walk the land first time and then you keep coming back because of course it's inviting you to really to get to know her uh, you start dreaming with the land so walking the land and dreaming with the land getting to know the ecosystem quite intimately it takes a lot of time it takes years so that's why i'm inviting communities to really enter that space of intimacy with their own land so they get to really really experience and to know where they live and why th things that are growing there and happening there and moving around the land why they are in this way um in my case, working in Iberia primarily at the moment also involves understanding what, what was removed from the ecosystem, what is destroyed. And so here I'm trying to also find some reference points that show me what kind of forest we used to have. And it's very, very difficult work because there's almost nothing uh, so looking back and looking forward, we're trying to understand how ecosystem has evolved, where does it come from, where are we now and what we lost, but also what is the potential. And if the ecosystem is supported in certain ways by us humans and in the more acupuncture way, if we help to regenerate the land or help land to regenerate herself, then what potentially can be afterwards. So it's really fascinating work. Uh, there is not enough of one human lifetime to do that work. Uh, it's almost like when you start working in this time frame, you wish you could live like a thousand years or like you have a chance to come back again and again, just to check things out a little bit and kind of witness how things are shifting. I think that would be my... You know, if I had one wish, uh, I would love to see that. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> and who knows, maybe it will be <laughs> your experience. Who knows? If people are interested in looking at some of the work that you've completed or interested in looking into current or future projects, um, what would you say are good sources for them to look at? So they can go to my website, which is um, eternalforest.earth. Uh, there is also Instagram page, uh, eternalforestglobal. Uh, I post very regularly, especially when I'm producing projects. So, of course, Instagram and web page are completely different. There is also the book called Eternal Forest, which is uh, currently available in digital and uh, physical form. And if people want to see my um, other work, more visual work, I would say, they can go to evgeniaemets.vision and evgeniaemets Instagram. Um, I keep these two things a little bit separate because Eternal Forest requires kind of its own space and a lot of communication about all these uh, incredible experiences and the plants I encounter, they go through, through there. But uh, I will, of course, make announcements of the upcoming shows in Lisbon this year on Instagram and on the website so people can reach out if they would love to connect. 
And yes, this year will be also a new book that will be called Forest Time, <laughs> in which we will explore some of the questions that we spoke about today, but also why we need uh, protected, biodiverse, na natural, old-growth forests and how we can do it. So it's all coming this year. And yes, it's exciting to share it with, with all of you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure that there are links um, to all of those resources in the show notes. I can't wait <laughs> to get a copy of and read Eternal Forest. And now that you mentioned that um, the next book is on time, I am so, so excited. But I will have to practice patience. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. But thank you so much for joining us, Afghania. Um, I just, I love the work that of yours that I've seen and I can't wait to see more. And you're just such a wonderful person. And it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for creating this beautiful space and time for us. <laughs> um, so please, Feel free if you're interested in networking with plants in the Anthropocene, check out our webpage, networkingwithplants.org, or you can email us at networkingwithplants.gmail.com. Um, we look forward to joining you again in a couple of weeks with our next networking with plants in the Anthropocene podcast. Until then, please take good care and make sure that you practice a little bit of receptivity to the communication um, that the plants around you are asking you to listen to this week. All right, take good care. music piece is kindly offered to us by artist Mylise. Mylise is a sonic artist, immersive ecology designer, and clean energy ambassador. Merging art and technology, she creates music experiences that express the voices of plants and the other inhabitants of the earth.